Welcome to the 1717 Podcast, a ministry of Roseville Baptist Church with Pastor Jackie Hill. There is no such thing as your truth and my truth. There is only truth and untruth. And Pastor Derek Ambrose. We have to stop searching for truth in our culture when God's already given us the answer. Jackie and Derek answer important questions with the truth of God's Word. In John 17, 17, Jesus prayed, Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Here's your host, Derek Ambrosen. Hello, everyone, and welcome in episode 156 of the 1717 Podcast. I'm Pastor Derek Ambrosen, and joined by Pastor Jackie Hill. Jackie, how are you doing today, man? Doing really good. I got up this morning uh, for the second day in a row before, uh, actually, I should take it back, third day in a row before five o'clock. Oh, um, yeah, so I, I'm not sure why, why that is. Uh, you could just say I'm an old man now and I get, get up there. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, that, that's my um, assessment. Yeah, um, but it, it, it hasn't been bad. You know, I got up and you know, do my quiet time and spend time with the Lord and read the Word and, and have prayer and uh, have coffee and get all that done before 6 o'clock in the morning. The, the only downside of that is like sometimes like by the end of the day over the last three days, I'm like, did I even spend time with God this morning? It's like, it's so long been, ago. It's been so long ago that I did. Yeah, but uh, those those prayer reminders going off my phone help. But yeah, yeah, doing good and um, not not feeling tired or anything. You know, so good. I'm not sure what God's doing there or what's going on, but I'm I'm not complaining. It's, it's been that, yeah. good. Yeah. So how you doing? Yeah, I'm I'm good. Had uh, my my folks up this past weekend, which was great to see them, and. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I got my got my dad playing a little flag football with me. Even <laughs> that was fun, reliving the glory days a little bit. And um, I heard know, he had like a big time reception for yeah, a touchdown. He had he had a touchdown. Uh, he's playing O line for us. Had a touchdown. Had a game clinching first down in the first oh, that's game. What, game too. clinching first down. Yeah. Um, and he of his three catches only fell down on two of them. So he uh, he did stay up for the touchdown. <laughs> only so fell down. He only fell down two thirds of the time. Yeah, we, we were giving him a hard time, but he was 100 percent catch rate. So that's what we can ask for. And it's stage one in getting them to move up here to Minnesota yeah. is uh, is getting him a taste of that. So he did there go home go. and tell my mom, "Hey, we need to move up here so I can play flag football more." And I said, <laughs> "Yes, we're, we're right on uh, right on track." Part of my big master plan. So man, I love I love that. Yeah, that's making great. making it work. But yeah, that's fun. Always fun doing stuff with dad. So, um, but today, Jackie, we, you know, by the time that this releases, we have the next big holiday coming up and that is Valentine's day. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, one that, uh, I was thankful for, for doing this episode cause it reminded me, oh yeah, Valentine's day is coming up. <laughs> you know, a lot of Whoops. times I think of February, that's my oldest daughter. She, uh, her birthday's at the end of the month. And so when I yep, think February, yep. I, I really more think of her, but, uh, yeah, don't, don't want to. <laughs> don't want to miss this one. We we do have the unique uh, experience where Alexis works all day on Valentine's Day, and we have church that night and stuff. So gotta gotta be a little creative with how we work it out. But I, I will say, I when I worked at FedEx, I hated Valentine's. Oh, I Day. bet, dude, I hated it so bad. Like it was one of those things where you get all those one eight hundred flowers and all these people shipping flowers, uh-huh. and you got we got so many of them. And they're these big boxes, and they're oh man, I I, I had dreams of taking a weed eater and running through a field of flowers, just wrecking them. Man, yeah, I couldn't that's, stand all like, <laughs> I, I couldn't believe that. So in, in honor of Valentine's Day, I suppose, uh, we're doing an episode about biblical romance and really asking what is biblical romance? You yeah. know, with, with yep. that coming up, I think many are looking to 
celebrate love or find or find love, it, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. or or even fall in love, right? As yeah. it's often said. Yeah. And so we wanted to look at what what real love is, but also uh, you know, real love in in a romantic sense as well because yes. you know we'll talk some in the episode about love and god's love and and we do see that that's primarily what we talk about but i think many think okay i understand i'm supposed to love my neighbor um but i'm not trying to get married <laughs> to every neighbor and so what you know what what is the difference and yeah. how does that go unless and so, you're mormon yeah, yeah unless you're mormon then you can get away with it i suppose and uh <laughs> Shots fired, <laughs> and so we'll, we're going to get into a little bit of history about Valentine's Day. That's that's always a little bit a little fun to to see where these things originated from, and uh, then a few different definitions of love that we see throughout uh, Scripture, and then uh, a lot of examples I think in Scripture of uh, some romantic love and really what we can take from those and how we ought to apply those today. Whether you are that one that is you know looking for a special someone, or whether you are one that is currently already married and has a special someone trying to keep them very special to, to you and <laughs> show them and, how yeah, special and show they that are, not get know? murdered the day after Valentine's and, day. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, that that's, that's and what you don't need for. a special day to do that every day. Should you should be showing them in some way? But, yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Well, let's talk about the history of Valentine's day a little bit. I found most of this information. Um, and it's, well, I looked at several different places, but most of what I'm going to read for you, you can find just on history.com. Uh, I, I subscribe to their, this time in history, uh, email, and they sent one today about the history of Valentine's Day. So a lot of this stuff just came to me um, this week already. So it says this, uh, the Catholic Church right, has several saints named Valentine, but the most common church tradition regarding St. Valentine is where most people believe the holiday comes from. And according to this Catholic tradition, uh, Valentine was a priest who served during the third century in Rome when Emperor Claudius II decided that single men made better soldiers than those with wives and families. And so he outlawed marriage for young men. Valentine realized this injustice and how it went against God's plan. And so he defied Claudius and continued performing marriages for the young lovers in secret uh, away from a Romans uh, from from Roman rule. And then when Valentine's actions were discovered, Claudius ordered that he be put to death, and that was around 270 A.D. Of all the things to be put to death for, just wanting the ability to marry, is a, that's a tough, <laughs> tough reason to go. Yeah, yeah. But we, we do see Valentine's Day celebrated in countries like the U.S., of course, Canada, uh, United Kingdom, France, Australia, and Mexico. Those are primarily the places. It's yeah, celebrated. it's not really everywhere, but yep. but those are the main places. Um, we don't exactly know when you know Valentine's Day started being observed as, as like a holiday or a day to express romantic love, but it had to be sometime before the late. 1300s, because in in 1375 AD, there was an English poet by the name of Geoffrey Chaucer, and he mentions the observance of Valentine's Day in a poem that he wrote called uh, Parliament of Fowls. And this is what it says, for this was sent on St. Valentine's Day when every fowl cometh there to choose his mate. Um, So obviously in 1375, Valentine's Day was already a a common holiday observed uh, for uh, Mm -hmm. romance. Yeah. And even excuse me, Valentine's greetings, right? Uh, they po- they were popular as far back as the Middle Ages. Uh, though written Valentines didn't begin to appear until after 1400. Reading this, I was I was just thinking, you know, of all the growing up in uh, in school and you have Valentine's Day, everybody, you got to make <laughs> yeah. sure you exchange it. Exchange and, them, you know, yeah. you have all these where you're giving it to At just school, your friends, but there's uh-huh. that one girl that you like a little bit more and do I get, you know, whatever. So that, you know, 
flashback to third grade. Homeschoolers don't have much of that. I had to give one to my sister. It was, yeah, that's it was pretty awkward. tough. Yeah. So the oldest known Valentine still in existence today, though, was a poem in a letter written in 1415 by Charles, Duke of Orleans, to his wife while he was imprisoned in the Tower of London following his capture. The greeting is now part of the manuscript collection of the British Library in London, which is kind of interesting. There's also evidence of written Valentine's letters and notes being exchanged in America as early as the 1700s. In, in the early 1700s, that is. In England, the evidence goes back even further all the way to the late 1500s. So we have plenty of history on Valentine's letters and exchanges. Yeah. Now, in 1840, an American woman named Esther A. Howland was the first person to start mass producing Valentine's Day cards. Today, right, we know those exist, and, and Americans yeah. buy and exchange more cards for Valentine's Day than any other holiday except christmas because it's hard to beat christmas cards <laughs> right although you know Karina and i have never <laughs> done the christmas card thing yeah we we haven't for a while i felt that pressure to do that some and then we just still didn't do it so yeah so i mean valentine's day is a big deal right and, and according to forbes magazine in 2023 so just last year the average couple spent about 167 dollars on valentine's day in total in 2023 americans spent 26 billion dollars on Valentine's Day, which made it the second uh, most commercialized or most expensive holiday in 2023, uh, only to Christmas. Yeah, well, Alexis and I will do our best to bring that average down a little bit this year and, <laughs> and spend a little bit less than $167. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. Uh, we'll see how that goes. That's the plan anyways. So trying to define uh, some of these terms, love, right? Um, I think one of the most used, but also misunderstood or, and or miscalculated. Yeah, and overused word, words. Yeah. So starting in the Oxford Dictionary, defines it as an intense feeling of deep affection. Yeah. Uh, spoiler, that's not how the Bible defines it. No, but that's, that's how not, Oxford defines it. Yeah, right? that's intense not a good feeling. definition. Yeah. Then you got romance, also from the Oxford Dictionary. It is a little bit different where it's defined as a feeling of excitement and mystery associated with love. So you kind of get what, you know, the yeah. the description of those feelings, right? We all understand that, know that. The butterflies. The, yeah, the, the mystery of the, the, the sitting at home and wondering, you know, what... Yeah, you just see me. the he people that are love struck, right? They kind of say that, and yeah, yeah, yep, absolutely, yeah. I, Webster's eighteen twenty eight dictionary gives an interesting definition of romance, and it's more the classic definition, right? You think about like the romantic period, but I think it's interesting because I think it also describes the reality of of what many people think is romance today. This is what it says: It says that romance is a fabulous relation or story of adventures. And incidents designed for the entertainment of readers, a tale of extraordinary adventures, fictitious and often extravagant, usually a tale of love or war, subjects interesting the sensibilities of the heart or the passions of wonder and curiosity. Romance differs from the novel as it treats of great actions and extraordinary adventures, that is, according to the what significance, he says, it vaults or soars beyond the limits of fact and real life and often into probability. And what he means by probability is things that appear to be true but aren't, Mm -hmm. right? So the word maybe he'd use today would be fantasy, right? And so he goes on to explain that the first romances were monstrous assemblage of histories in which truth and fiction were blended and it was a composition of amorous adventures and the extravagant ideas of chivalry, right? So it's kind of like romance novels of today or, or even romantic movies of today that give people like all those feels, right? Yep. It's a blend of, blend of fact and fiction and oftentimes more fiction than fact. And what it ends up doing is giving people a misunderstanding of what real love is supposed to be. And 
starts having them put maybe unrealistic expectations on what they should be looking for in a relationship. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, re- I still remember that when Alexis and I were dating, we watched the movie PS. I love you. It's like Gerard Butler movie. It's a pretty popular one. Basically he, uh, he dies and then he puts, he puts her on this, uh, this mission, this journey around the world of, of all these basically notes, you know, the PS I love you notes and doing all these awesome things. And, and like, you can't help but be like, Oh, that's amazing. But I remember finishing the movie just feeling like this sucks. And I feel like the worst boyfriend <laughs> in the world because I would never do that. Or I wouldn't think to do that. And, and just to, to the point you're saying is you can watch those. Um, I, I feel like as a, as a guy, I watch those and just feel awful. Uh, a woman could watch those and feel like that's what it's supposed to be. And so you get right. to that fantasy side yeah. of things where if that is the definition of love, yeah, sure. It makes a good movie and gives you the feels, but if that's what you're expecting it to be, like you're going to be disappointed because that's yeah. not what marriage yeah. looks like. Um, it's not sustainable and it's, it's just not, it's not realistic because to your point, there's fact and fiction. There's some fact in there, right? But a lot of fiction that goes in um, because yeah, that's what, absolutely. that's what sells a good movie. So then we, you know, looking at what does it mean to fall in love, a term that's often used or, or a phrase that's used, I'm falling in love or I fell in love with this person. Uh, Miriam Webster defines or describes the phrase this way. Falling in love is the development of strong feelings of attraction or attachment to another person. The phrase started as a metaphorical term emphasizing that the process, like the physical act of falling, is sudden or uncontrollable and leaves the lover in a vulnerable state, similar to falling from a height, falling ill, or falling into a trap, right? So it, it's yeah. it, it it's this again feeling that just comes and it just you hits you it. and you, yeah, there's yeah. no control over it. It's just where I am, and and I think it's easy to fall into that belief, pun intended. Uh, but I, I think <laughs> as we go through some of the how the Bible defines love, we'll come back to that a little bit and show that I don't think falling in love is is really what it is. I think there's other things that you fall into that yeah. feel like love or you might think are love, yeah. but, but uh, yeah. are not that. Yeah. You can definitely develop feelings, but, but it's, it's different, you know? So what does the Bible say and how does the Bible define love? Uh, quite a few words for love in the Bible, both in the old Testament and new Testament. Yeah. Old Testament has about a dozen Hebrew words that are translated love, but here are just the two most common. Uh, there's Ahab actually that uh, is used over 200 times. It is the most used Hebrew word translated for love found in the Bible. It's just a general word for love that can mean friendship. Uh, it can mean family kind of love. It can mean uh, sexual romantic kinds of love. It just depends on the context. So it's, it's a general word for love. The other one is hesed. It's also used over 200 times, but only about two-thirds of those uses is it translated love. Mm-hmm. Depending upon the translation, it's most often translated loving kindness, right? The other third of the uses of, of Hesed is just translated kindness. And you could probably tell by that that this kind of love, pun intended, uh, is to demonstrate, it demonstrates a goodness or to treat somebody with kindness. So it's primarily about acting lovingly toward another person. Mm-hmm. No other Hebrew word is translated love more than just a small handful of times in the Old Testament. So that's why we're just using those two as an example. Yeah, and then the Greek has four common words used for love. You have agape, phileo, storge, and eros. Uh, only the first four are used. So uh, first three. Uh, excuse yeah. me, yeah, first three are used in the Bible. Right, yeah. In 1960, C.S. Lewis wrote a book uh, about the, these four words. It's called The Four Loves. Uh, it's, a, it's a good book. I'd recommend it. And if you are interested in hearing what he sounds like, Audible has mm-hmm. an Audible version of that book. And 
it is read by C.S. Lewis. It's the only known recording of him reading one of his own works. It's really, it's really good. Yeah, that it, it definitely makes those ones better. So first, agape. This is one that I mean, if you've gone to church for a while and you've heard something about love, you know that um, you know every pastor preaches about agape as if he's the first one that preached about it, um, and it's revolutionary. <laughs> but uh, can't tell you how many sermons I've heard that way where it's like mind-boggling to the the I, people that <laughs> I just preached on agape yeah. just a few months ago. <laughs> yeah, it's it's anyways. So it's used over 200 times in the New Testament, and it's, it's by far the most common word translated for love. And it is because it's, it's the love of God. It comes from God, and it's this unconditional, never-ending kind of love. It's in like 1 John 4, 8, where we get the phrase, God is love. It's yeah. God is agape that way, and that he, he loves us in an unconditional way. Uh, and so that, that's really where we see it most commonly. Yeah, phileo is the other one. It's, it's, the second mo- it's the second most common. It's used... Four about four hundred times in different forms in the Bible, and you say, "Well, <laughs> I thought you said it was the second most common," mm-hmm. uh, and it is. Uh, it's just that it, it's not translated love most of the time. So it's the love between close friends. Uh, it's a strong, affectionate bond. It's completely platonic, um, and so it, it is used most commonly translated friend, brother, or brethren. Only about twenty times is it love, right? But 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 it, it's about. The relationship that that relationship you have with someone else, that strong bond. Mm-hmm. Then you have that uh, the other word storge, and this one's only used twice in the New Testament. Uh, it's more of like a familial kind of love, like the love between a parent and a child. Obviously, only used twice, uh, not a very common form. Yeah, and then eros, which is the one that most people are thinking about when it comes to Valentine's Day, mm-hmm. and the kind of, I think, a love that most people are wanting. Or you think about it, when you think about yeah. dating, relationship, all that. It's never used in the Bible at all. Like never once. Now I think it's described in places. We're going to see that. We're going to go through that. It's the romantic or sexual kind of love. It's actually where we get our word erotic, yep. but it is never used in scripture anywhere. Yeah. Which is pretty interesting. It is. And so, you know, j- just to kind of put a bow on that, that whole section, I think it, the verse that comes to mind or the passage that comes to mind is first Corinthians 13, four through seven, really called the love passage, right? Famous yeah. for that. Yeah. And we bring this up here because it gives us a definition of love by literally starting as saying love is, and then it goes on. And so it says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not mm. irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never ends. And so we bring it up there as kind of a, a good transition point. One to say, you know, we talked about, you know, falling into love and, and things yep. like that, right? Yep. And, and those feelings. Yeah. And those feelings that go, mm-hmm. and and we're not saying that, that feelings don't play a part in things, but what you see here is many people who get wrapped up in these feelings, whenever they come, they need to be checked at what love actually is and defined in the Bible. And it's pretty clear through what this love is, is ultimately, right? Like a description of God's love for us, but ought to be the way that we love others. And so we need to check it there because I think a lot of times that we quote unquote fall into love, we're not falling into those things suddenly and wrapped up in that. We fall into things like lust right, um, and and passion and whatever the the world kind of feeds us. And I think it's important to define the differences. Yeah, I agree, Derek. I I would say, you know, along with that, right, is the last part, love never ends. The kind of love that the Bible's talking about and really that should shape our relationships and whether it's friends, family, or, you know, marriage, right? A significant other, uh, whatever that is, it doesn't end. So those, those romantic feelings, they do come and go. Yeah, they do. 
right? It's a good thing too, because you'd be wore out if they, if they <laughs> yeah, did, that's true. If they didn't, and so the the kind of love the Bible says is a love that doesn't end. So it's a better kind of love, even than than what we typically think of. Yeah, yeah, and so I think that kind of transitions us into talking about I think a big difference between love and lust. Yeah. One that I think, you know, when, when I look at as a youth pastor, a lot of high school relationships, people think, heck, I even thought, you know, I was in love when I was younger mm-hmm. and, you know, can look back now and look at some of these youth students and, and they think that's what it is because of these feelings and I'm swept off my feet and whatever, right? And this suddenness. But I think often the the attributes that go with that are more related to lust than they are to true yeah, biblical yeah. love. It's physical attraction, right? Yeah. yeah. It's Matthew 5, 28, everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And of course, with lust, you know, we're talking, this is like a, a passionate desire uh, sexually for, to be you intimate know, with yeah, to be intimate yeah. with somebody mm-hmm. where it's a craving. And Jesus is even saying, okay, this isn't just going as far as literally doing it, but just having that desire in your heart, right? To, to do that is yeah. sin. It is, yeah. it is on par sinning wise with uh, yeah. committing adultery. And that's something when you look at a lot of relationships that start, it's I'm very attracted to this person and that, you know, it you know gets all the feelings and then the body going yep. and now I'm excited and I'm I'm and, that, and that's what I want and I'm I'm longing for that like that is lust that is not love yeah. but I think many times in our culture we get those two things mixed up and think oh I'm falling in love with this person um but but probably they're just meeting some perceived need that you have maybe you're lonely or you you feel like yeah you need that sexual experience and this person is going to yeah. give that to you so now we're I'm falling in love or so you believe but really you're just falling into lust and Jesus is clear lust is sin yeah and I think part of us the way that we prioritize or what we look for what becomes the most important thing oftentimes is looks right mm-hmm. and, and and I'm not saying you shouldn't be attracted to to your spouse right obviously I, I think Karina's beautiful you know um, good thing she, you know she didn't just base it on looks right because I'd, <laughs> I'd be out of luck right <laughs> but but uh, the problem is that becomes the primary. And you see a problem with that, like in Judges 14, that was that was Samson's downfall. Uh, in, in Judges 14, you have Samson, a judge that God put over. We all, we all know about Samson. We know all the things that he did. A lot of it, you know, if you're a Christian, you've been in church, you know Samson. But but his downfall, we typically don't think about. And what happens in, in, in chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, is he sees this Philistine woman, and he wants to marry her. And so he tells his parents, go get her. I want to marry her. And so they're like, you know, hey, is, is there, isn't there a woman around, among the, the the Hebrews that you should be marrying? Why, why you got to go to the Philistines? And this is what Samson says. Samson says to his father, verse 3, get her for me, for she looks good to mm-hmm. me. So she follows a different god. Right, she she's not someone who follows the one true God. She has a different lifestyle. She is a part of a different culture that is anti God. Okay, and yet Samson's primary thing is she looks good to me. You know, Proverbs thirty one thirty tells us that charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord she shall be praised. Right, so it's a different priority of what we're looking for and what I think what should be the the thing that that fuels that love that commitment that the, those those things. It, it shouldn't be, look, shouldn't be the primary thing, right? And this wasn't Samson's, you know, it, it went from there, right? So he, he, in, in chapter 16, uh, he ends up meeting Delilah and it's, it came about this time. He loved a woman in the Valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. Again, what was that love based on, if you will, right? It's more of those definitions we looked at that the world gives. They were these feelings, right? That they had this intense feeling of deep affection. It was extreme excitement and mystery associated with this person because of the way she looked, but looks were deceiving, and she was corrupt. 
Yeah. And I think one of the things too, that that's interesting to remember is, you know, a lot of times, you know, for example, with Proverbs 31, the woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. I think when you see, when you find somebody um, as a potential spouse that has those qualities that God values, right? beauty come, you know, beauty is from within. That's, that's what God sees too. And so that beauty comes out Right. And then it, that it person, follows, yeah, right? it, it, as a result, when you see that, then all of a sudden this person, you see what is on the inside is beautiful yes. and that reflects even more on the outside. Whereas th- there's plenty they become of, more beautiful. there's plenty of people out there that physically are very attractive, but as you could get to know them more or whatever, <laughs> and be like, Oh, that's ever, repulsive. Yeah, right. Because yeah. of what, what's inside, yep. as Jesus says, you know, what's inside and then comes out is what defiles a person. Exactly. And you see that even for a beautiful person based on our standards. It's a great word, right? Like the more you're around that person, the more you see their character their godly character and their qualities and all these things and you learn about their personality and all these things they become either more handsome or more, more beautiful look more attractive to you e- even yep. right even if they were already attractive they become even more so yep. and if maybe initially that wasn't what stuck out to you all of a sudden they become the most beautiful person in the world to you because you your your perspective changes yep. Jeremiah 17:9 tells us the heart is more deceitful than all else and desperately sick who can under Stand it. That's a right? word for for love, right? Yeah, and when when we follow our our heart and our passions, right? What what Jeremiah tells us in that is, you know, it's deceitful. We can't we can't trust that if that is our driving force, right? There's got to be other things that we, uh, you know, base our criteria on. Then yeah. this this is how I feel right now about this person. Yeah, because we normally think about that in terms of you know sinful desires, but mm-hmm. we don't think about that verse in terms of love. Yeah, well, you know, my heart is is I'm longing for them in my heart, right? Well, the heart can be deceitful. And Colossians 3, 5 tells us, put to death, therefore, what's earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry, right? And then even Galatians mm. five twenty four. now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. In other words, we need to give those things to Jesus. Those things that are, that are sinful, those sinful desires and passions and, and desires for sexual immorality have died on the cross with Jesus and we we have risen new. We need to put those to death and leave them there and uh, live more in line with what Jesus would have us to do. Yeah, I think it's such a good point, too. Pretty that idolatry thing. Because I think a lot of times that that ro- what we think is romantic love or whatever, it's lust. It It is it is treat, looking at someone as an object to, to, to satisfy your sexual desires. Yep. Right? And then you say, well, that's love. And, and it, really, it's lust, and it's a love of self, and it's idolatry of those desires. Yep. Right? And God tells us that our sanctification will be to abstain, in First Thessalonians 4, abstain from that sexual immorality. And uh, you know, not all sex is immoral, but sex outside of marriage is. Yep. And so we want to make sure that we're not living according to those passions and those lusts and those desires. Now, there is, though, a right and a wrong time for romance that we see throughout Scripture. Yes. Yeah. For example, Ecclesiastes 3.8, there's a time to love, right? As Solomon writes out, there's a time for this and a time for this. Is he kind of contrasts There is a time things. for so love. There is a time for that. Romantic love. Even Song of Solomon in actually three different places, which shows you how important this was. In chapter 2, verse 7, chapter 3, verse 5, and chapter 8, verse 4, the, the woman in there, Solomon's wife, says, Young women of Jerusalem, I charge you, do not stir up or awaken love until the appropriate time. Yeah. Right? What she's getting at to these women, she, she is at, at different points in this almost married, but passionate and ready, and then times married, and, and basically telling them, you need to wait. 
Don't just jump into things because yeah. I'm telling you, once once the train gets rolling, <laughs> right, you, you can't stop it. Don't stir up or awaken this love because in, in Song of Solomon, we know there's a lot of passion. There's a there's a romance. There's sexual desire too. And you can see this between the, the, the two people the as they're going and back wife, and forth. Yeah, the and and if that is not in the appropriate time, yep. it will, you know, that that's sin. And so she yes. is just imploring these women on three different times. Don't just get wrapped up in love. Don't get wrapped up in this desire to be with someone. Wait until you're at a point where you can get married, and that is the goal. And then when you're burning with passion, right, get married. Yeah, that's yeah. that's that's how it's supposed to be. So there is a time for it, but often I've used this verse, you know, with with high school students or even middle school students who are, you know, in love already, and it's like you're you're not ready for that. You're not ready to get married right now. That's not going to happen. And so why are you awakening love before it's ready? And what generally happens is sexual sin um, as a result because they're awakening love before it's ready and then they turn to sin. And I think you, you find in really another interesting verse, Genesis 29, 20 about Jacob. It said, Jacob served seven years for Rachel and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. I think there's two things that stick out in this one. He was, because of his love, he was willing to wait and he worked seven years, right? He did it the, the right way. He didn't jump before he was supposed to, he didn't jump through the, you know, go around the hoops. He, he waited and he served the way that he was supposed to for her. And interestingly enough too, you see because of his feelings of love, because he desired her so much, it didn't feel like a burden for him. Yeah. She was worth yeah. waiting for. And so it felt like a few days to him. So it's kind of cool to see this. You see some romantic feelings, but you see them uh, in the right way, in the right capacity, not this sexual desire that was just burning with passion, but it was this good I think biblical godly form of love for her um, that allowed him to go about it the right way. Yeah, no, I agree with everything you said. I, you know, the romance because we don't want to give the wrong impression, right? So I think sometimes people say, well, romance that's unbiblical. No, romance is not unbiblical. It's mm-hmm. unbiblical outside of marriage. Yep. I mean, really? So, well, how do you even get married? Well, that, that's the thing. It, it's not just outside of marriage, but if you're not ready to be married, you shouldn't be trying to get into romance. Mm-hmm. Right. I go back to what you said, you know, talk to teenagers. That was the advice I always gave the, the youth in, in middle school and high school when I was a youth pastor was was if you're not ready to get married, you're not ready to date mm-hmm. because the purpose of dating is to find a person that you can marry to honor God and, and live together and help each other live life for God. Right. And there'll be romantic feelings, all these are going to follow. But but that's the purpose of it. Right. And so just to be clear, like that's that's the that's the point. And 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 so in that, though, in marriage, romance is biblical. It's God honoring and, and it should be present. Right. Song of Solomon. We've got two places where we see that example, like five, verse eight. Um, there you see that the woman, the bride says that she is lovesick. She says, I'm sick with love. And, and so what she's saying is like, yeah, it's those those feelings that carry you away, that that mystery, there's excitement, there's mm-hmm. passion there. She's calling it sick with love. Or in, in Psalm Solomon 710, she says, I am my beloved's and his desire is for me. That is a God-honoring biblical thing in the confines of marriage. And so we need to be careful, make sure we understand that. That's why Paul then in 1 Corinthians 7, 9 is like, if you do have a relationship with someone, you have been getting to know them and developing that attraction, you start to have those feelings. He says, if you can't exercise self-control, you need to get married because it's better to be burning with passion, right? So because that passion could lead you to do things that are sinful. Mm -hmm. And so, but if you are married and those things are in the confines of marriage, they're not sinful. They bring glory to God and they're God honoring. Yeah, Proverbs five fifteen through twenty uh, talks about this idea of of really, um, you know, this monogamous husband and wife relationship, and and 
the writer of, of Proverbs says, drink water from your own cistern and fresh water from your own well. He's basically using this analogy like, That's, stay with your woman. Yeah, right. Yeah, we, we get it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> should, your, should your springs be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be yours yeah. alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed. Rejoice in the wife of your youth, right? So it's getting to that. As a loving hind and graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated always with her love. For why should you, my son, be exhilarated with an adulteress and embrace the bosom of a foreigner? It's interesting the words exhilarated yes. use there, right? They kind yes. of get to those those feelings of yes. things. But in fact, he says, be exhilarated always with her love. When it's in the confines of marriage, yep. rejoice in the wife of your youth, right? It's yep. it's between the two of you and let yeah, let those feelings go. It's great. Right. But don't turn and, and be exhilarated, which you definitely can with an adulteress because that is wrong. Um, but that does not mean if you are exhilarated with someone else when you're married that you are now in love with that person. Right. And people get that confused. You're in right? lust with them, maybe. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I'm, oh, I'm more excited, more exhilarated. Yeah, because you're in sin. And and I've canceled, counseled people, right? They're like, well, I just don't love them anymore, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. You, those feelings went away. I get that. They can come back. You can do things to bring them back. But again, you, you're in the wrong. If you don't like, so you're supposed to love even your enemy. So if you don't love your spouse anymore, then you need to repent. Yeah. Okay. But, but secondly, this exhilarate, you can get caught up with your feelings can lead you to, to other people that you shouldn't be with because you've made this other commitment, right? Yep. So God's plan for marriage or God's plan for romance is marriage. Yep. I mean, God, God invented it. You know, Genesis 2.18, God says it's not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. And what he did was made Eve, right? And, and it's one man, one woman. And in Genesis 2.24, it tells us, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his wife, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, so God's the one that does it all, right? Proverbs 31, we look at the the, the P31 woman, the Proverbs mm-hmm. 31 wife, this godly wife. It says, an excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. There's this value there, and God's the one that does this. All good things come from God. And so God is the one that's supposed to be putting us together. And so you, if you're looking for romance, right? So someone say, hey, I, I, I want this. You should first and foremost seek God and ask him to satisfy your longings, but also ask him to, to bring you to that right person mm-hmm. and help you develop a relationship the right way that's going to honor God and bless the two of you. Yeah, and with your point about the right way, that gives the assumption that there's a wrong way yes, to go does. about it. Right? Yes. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Right? I've seen this too many times where mm-hmm. people with the desire for love, or they believe uh, or just romance or partnership or yeah. you know whatever yeah. to fill some need that they have, they will unequally yoke themselves with people who are not uh, believers. Or people who are not mature, who are right. not going to be a good spouse, but they're like, well, this is all that I got, so I'll make it work. But like settling for someone who you are not equally yoked with is going to cause bigger problems down the road yeah. than whatever you're experiencing right now. Like Samson and Delilah, yep. or Samson and that other Philistine woman, right? Think of what happened, right? Samson lost his strength, the power that God had for him, got his eyes gouged out, got the downfall because he was unequally yoked. And, and, and not only that, but I think so many people also think, well, you know what? God get them saved, right? I can change. I love them. them. I can change them. Or God, Mission, yeah, missionary yeah, dating. You, yeah, that's, but it's it's it, that, that no. I, I know people say, well, that's what happened to me. Okay, that was your experience. God blessed it and worked in it, even though you made a bad choice. Yep. Because yep. God promised to cause all things to work together for good. That didn't mean it was the right thing to do. Yep. I had a, I had a <laughs> mentor at my home church that said that that's what happened with him and his wife, but he still wouldn't recommend it to anybody. That's the right. That's the <laughs> yep. right advice. So right? it's yeah. So it's, what does God say about yep, it? Yep. Yep. Exactly. And so we we need to be careful um, with that. And Proverbs twelve four says, "An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who brings shame is like rottenness in his bones." 
which sounds much worse than just not being married at all. <laughs> yeah. If you marry the wrong person, yep. it's going to cause pain. And Proverbs 21 verse nine, just to go even further, <laughs> it is better to live in the corner of the housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, um, that, that speaks for itself. Yeah. That's, and it's not insulting women. I mean, as people say, well, man, that seems, you know, it may be that the, 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 uh, the husband was a jerk and that's why his wife is quarrelsome. Who yeah. knows? But the, the point is you're better off not being in that home. Then, then having a home where there's all this quarreling, you t- yep. you approach this slowly. Don't rush into it. Look for the right person in the right way. Yep. You know, if you just go, well, I have these feelings for them. That's where you're going to end up. Yep. Right. So, you're not ready to to have this kind of romance and 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 have this kind of relationship unless you're willing to be married and and do it God's way. Colossians three eighteen and nineteen says, "Wives, submit to your husbands as fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them." So there's this, I think, this mutual submission. You're putting the other person ahead of yourself. Philippians, or excuse me, Ephesians five mm-hmm. twenty two through twenty through thirty three explains this in great detail. But what, just to summarize, I'd like to say what what it ultimately says is, be submissive to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then you're supposed to sacrifice yourself for one another, right? So the husband's supposed to lay his life down for the wife, just as Christ laid his life down for the church, mm-hmm. right? So there's these major, major things that we're supposed to be doing and putting the other person ahead of ourselves. And so if you're not ready for that kind of commitment, you're not ready for romance. Yep. Yep. For sure. And then finally, I think with that, Mark 10, nine, what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. The, the goal of marriage is for it to be lifelong, right? We go all the way back to 1 Corinthians 13, love never ends, right? And so this this is what God has intended for marriage. And we understand that, you know, things, things we have divorce in the world and all that, but it should never be something that we strive for or hope for. What God has brought together, we don't want to separate those things. Right. And I'd say lastly, um, I know some people are longing for romance and, and, and there's difficulty um, sorrow. I've been there for you. You're, you're just, I want this. I think part of it ends up being idolatry and part of it's just, you know, God created us to want to have that, that relationship, but there's a greater form of love. You know, John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Mm-hmm. Uh, John fifteen thirteen. Jesus says greater love has no one than this, that he lay his life down for his friends. So that that's the greatest love the world has ever known. And so if you do find yourself struggling for this kind of love, like romantic kind of love, look to Christ. Let him satisfy you in those desires until that other comes. And even then, Jesus should be greater, right? Yep. Um, and, and one of the ways that you can see this is First John 3.16 says that we know what love is because he laid his life down for us, and we need to lay our lives down for our brothers. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's ultimately the goal is to love like Jesus loves, which means we lay ourselves down uh, for others. So many people spend time figuring out how to date, who to date, and what love actually is in a romantic relationship. Thankfully, Scripture gives us plenty of principles to build on when pursuing a romantic relationship or even sustaining one that we're currently in. Feelings of love and lust are often easy to get mixed up, especially early on in a relationship, so it's important to check our motives with Scripture and in prayer with the Lord. Pursuing biblical romance involves self-sacrifice and putting the needs of another person in front of your own while also valuing the things God values in a relationship. We see clear examples of romantic love and passion in Scripture, but those examples are shown in the context of marriage the way God intended them to be. Love is something that we should all show towards others, regardless of romantic relations, because God first loved us and gave himself for us. Love is primarily a commitment that requires action and not something we ought to take lightly, even with Valentine's Day right around the corner. That concludes today's show. Thanks so much for listening, and we appreciate your support. 
We hope and pray you all have a great Valentine's Day. God bless, and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to the 1717 Podcast. If you have any questions, please connect with us on Twitter or email us at 1717pod at gmail.com.